Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we consider the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, that final kingdom that will defeat all enemies to establish justice and righteousness forever. You're listening to Prism Bible. We've seen a preview of the major empires of the world, represented by a statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and by beasts in Daniel's dream. Four empires that provide a framework for most of the book of Daniel. These four kingdoms were first the Babylonian Empire, then the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, and finally the Roman Empire. Four earthly kingdoms that would precede the kingdom of God, the kingdom represented by the rock that destroys the kingdoms of this world, setting up a new everlasting kingdom. God's sovereign rule over all things becomes the thread that ties the whole book of Daniel together. God rules even when he grants subordinate sovereignty. God rules when he foretells the rise of each kingdom. God rules when he finally takes direct rule of the world for himself. If we miss this, we miss the ministry of Daniel. He speaks of God's rule, his dominion over all things. But it's not just Jewish Daniel who speaks this critical theme. No, it's also the rulers of these nations themselves who see the hand of God ruling in his eternal kingdom. The king of Babylon says this about God. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does as he pleases with the army of heaven and the peoples of the earth. There is no one who can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? Later the Persian king says this about God. He is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He delivers and rescues. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. A critical point to learn in the life of Daniel and the kings of the empires is that despite the evil actions or intentions of the kings involved in world history, God remains sovereign over them. He raises one up and causes one's downfall just the same. God grants rule and subordinate sovereignty to whomever he wants. Didn't we see this very concept with the land of Canaan? For many, many years, there were people exercising dominion over the land. But when God decided to allow the Israelites entrance into Canaan and help them in battle, he was concurrently removing the dominion from the people who had been dwelling there. God raised the tribes of Israel to dominance in the land. Yet later, because of their disobedience, God also removed Israel from the land. God judged them for their sin and exiled them away from the land some of whom ended up here in Babylon, some like Daniel. We can't properly understand the Bible without always keeping in mind the overarching sovereignty of God. That God being over everything in the universe can do what he wants whenever he wants with his creation. And the great thing that we know from the Bible so far is that God wants to bless all the nations of the world. But this question in the Bible is still developing an answer. 
How exactly will God bring all the nations of the world into blessing? And the answer is, at least partially, through the establishment of God's kingdom on the earth. We left off in our last lesson with a question. The question was this, are we living in the kingdom of God right now? Well, the short answer is no. The establishment of the kingdom of God on earth hasn't yet occurred. And we know this for at least a few reasons. One, the establishment of God's kingdom on the earth will be accompanied by all nations heeding the leadership of God from his throne in Jerusalem. Two, the establishment of the kingdom will be accompanied by a new temple in Jerusalem. And three, the establishment of the kingdom will be accompanied by peace and justice that the world has never known before. This is the kingdom that we still look forward to. Yet from the standpoint of the book of Daniel, it is a little difficult to understand why it hasn't been established yet. After all, hasn't the Roman Empire come and gone already? Wasn't the Roman Empire the fourth kingdom from all these visions? After all we said about the kingdom of God destroying the fourth empire in the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, what gives? Well, we need to focus on something that will illuminate the prophets even more for us. Here it is. When the prophets recorded the future actions of the coming king, the one who would rule on David's throne, they recorded his actions as if they would all be accomplished in progression, all together. In the Hebrew Bible, it isn't readily apparent as we read through the prophets that the king will have two comings, a first coming and a second coming. This fact is obscure, just as some of the language of the prophets itself is obscure. Only retrospect helps us divide the prophecies into coming one and coming two. This is important because it helps our understanding of the establishment of the kingdom of God and these other prophecies of the kingdoms of the earth. Somehow this fourth kingdom won't be destroyed by the kingdom of God until the second coming of the king occurs to establish the kingdom of God. It appears then that the Roman Empire will in some way be reconstituted prior to the establishment of the kingdom of God. And lest we think this is a stretch, we do get hints of this even in the prophecies themselves. Wasn't there a division within the fourth kingdom itself in both dreams? In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the fourth kingdom is represented by the legs and feet of the statue. The legs, though, are of solid iron, whereas the feet are iron mixed with clay. This is a plain indication that there will be two versions of this kingdom that exist. Call them Rome 1.0 and Rome 2.0. Similarly, later in Daniel's dream concerning these kingdoms, we see the fourth kingdom represented as a beast and then ten horns. The angel tells Daniel that the horns represent kings themselves. So even here it appears that the fourth beast is a kingdom, Rome 1.0, with its second version being the Ten Horns, or Rome 2.0. The point here is that both visions indicate that for the fourth kingdom of Rome, there are going to be two versions, and not just a single stagnant kingdom. This can help us as we try to make history in light of these prophecies. We've already seen Rome 1.0 that existed during the first coming of the king, when he announced but didn't establish his kingdom on the earth. And from our standpoint in the early 3rd millennium AD, we continue to look ahead to Rome 2.0 that will be destroyed by the final establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. Admittedly, we're wading some deep waters now in Bible prophecy, and this may seem like an odd endeavor. 
After all, we're looking into the future using writings from over 2,500 years ago. But don't forget something that should motivate us to press on. God is the author of the scriptures. Yes, he uses human writers, but God is the one who breathes out these words for us. He doesn't just breathe them out, but he breathes them out for us. He wants us to read these and to understand them as best we can, so that we can be encouraged at what's to come, and so that we can be prepared for what's to come. Things aren't always going to go the way they're going today, with kingdoms rising, falling, and warring. There will be a day when the kingdom of God is firmly established on the earth in justice and righteousness. There will be a day when the strength of the kingdoms of man fails. One day, wars will stop, the striving will stop, and everyone will head to Jerusalem to see the king. Perhaps we can take away five key points from this. Five things that can help us as we move forward in the story. First, Bible prophecy can be difficult to read and to understand. And difficulty is okay. Second, though prophecy may be difficult, it's not so difficult that we can't learn a lot from it. Our temptation is to always skip the hard things and move straight on to the easier things to understand. But rest assured, the more of the scriptures that we come to know and love— the more we will see the relevance and importance of learning from prophecy as well. Third, prophecy has been a focus of these lessons because this time period in the history of Israel is filled with prophecy. 17 of the 39 books of the Hebrew Bible are primarily prophecy, and most of them come out of this time before, during, and after this exile period. We're reflecting this quantity of prophecy through these small tastes of what we can learn through careful study of these texts. Fourth, prophecy often tells us more about the coming king, and these prophetic books were a primary source people used in the first century to identify the king when he came. Fifth and finally, we don't have to be experts on Bible prophecy. Expertise will only come from a lifetime of study and consideration. One of the great things about the Bible is that it's a treasure chest that you can never empty. Take out as much treasure as you want, and there's always more to discover. More important than the deep waters of prophecy is first knowing the basic story and learning about the coming king. As we grow in our Bible knowledge and understanding, though, we will want to return to these prophetic texts. If the Bible is a treasure chest, then prophecies are like the heavy diamonds. It might take some work to lift them out, but the reward will be worth the effort. At the end of the day, God is working out His plan in history. History has a goal, and God is going to accomplish it. What we have is the advantage of these glimpses that God gives us for our encouragement and for our preparation. Preparation for the final establishment of the Kingdom of God. Join us next time as we see the fall of Babylon and the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire in a single night. A disembodied hand will write on the wall, a king will be assassinated, and a new power will rise. Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, We have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson.
Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.